There's an image coming on the screen, and uh, it's one of the most iconic images of the 20th century. You'll probably recognize it as a photograph that we associate with the pro-democracy protests in Tiananmen Square. It's taken about 30 years ago. The, the protests began, as it were, tomorrow, 30 years ago, on the 15th of April, 1989. They lasted for several weeks until the 4th of June, whenever the Chinese military cracked down on the protesters, the workers, the students, and the hunger strikers who were in not only Tiananmen Square, but in Beijing, and in fact, in 400 other Chinese cities. So on the 4th of June, it's estimated that there were approximately 10,000 Chinese citizens killed. They were either shot or run over by tanks. This photograph was taken the day after, on the 5th of June. So imagine the context that 10,000 of your countrymen and women have been killed, many of them crushed by tanks. And the day after, being aware of this, in a photograph taken near Tenement Square, a man is crossing a wide road and notice the fact he's on a zebra crossing. And he decides to stop in front of the lead tank and the other tanks come up behind. And the question all the onlookers have on their, moment, on their mind in that moment is, Will the tank run over the man? Because it's happened hundreds of times before, the day before. He's a man just coming back with his shopping. And in that moment, he decides to stop in the midst of the road. And I think there, there are all sorts of echoes here about the passage that Mel read for us, the context of the moment 2,000 years ago in the Middle East where there was a, a young man who looked to all intents and purposes like a young rabbi or a young prophet who was speaking and acting in ways that seemed very strange to everybody. And so at the start of that passage, we read that the, the Pharisees from all around every town in Galilee, it says, and from Judea and from the, the city of Jerusalem come because they want to see what this young man is doing and hear what he's saying, because he's speaking about the kingdom of God. And that interested particularly the Pharisees. That's why they turn up in force. So you can imagine this situation where there's this big crowd, and there are probably tens and tens of Pharisees that have come from far and wide to listen to this young man called Jesus and to see what he's up to because he keeps mentioning the kingdom of God. There were a number of significant questions on the minds of Jewish people at that time because they were living under oppression. They were living under the oppression of uh, one of the most uh, powerful military machines the world has ever seen, the power of the Roman Empire. And uh, there were this, the questions they had were questions like, how can God allow, why would God allow us, his people, to be living under the oppression of a foreign power? And our question was, what can we do about it? What can we do to change the situation? And thirdly, when's God going to do something to release us from the oppression under which we're living? 
And the different religious groups came up with different answers. And there were the Sadducees, and they didn't believe in resurrection. They were sort of the religious elite. They governed the temple, and they were made up mostly of priests and the high priest. And what they did, I suppose, in effect, and using our analogy here, was they decided to get into the tank. They thought the safest place to be was actually in the tank, to basically sidle up beside the people who seemed to have real power and hope that in some way that that would give them a say in where the tank goes, that that would give them a say in how the tank is driven. And so the Sadducees decided, as it were, to get into the tank. The Pharisees got had a different, very different approach. They decided that they would... They would call down God's judgment on the tank. They would oppose the tank. And in fact, sometimes they would attack the tank. And so the Pharisee decided that the way was to try and, as it were, create an environment in which God would act. And so their thinking was, if we really strictly adhere to the law, and we encourage everyone else to strictly adhere to the law, we will effectively create an environment where God will just have to act. And sometimes they, they acted violently towards the Roman Empire, not because they thought they could particularly overcome the Roman Empire by force, but they thought that if they sort of catalyzed it by, by acting in aggression, towards the might of Rome, that they would put themselves in a situation that would force God's hand to act. And so they opposed the tank, and they called down judgment on the tank, and they attacked the tank, hoping ultimately that God would destroy the tank, and that God himself would then rule in justice and righteousness. In short, that the kingdom of God would come in all of its glory and all of its power. So when this young man, carpenter's son from Nazareth, in the back of beyond in Galilee, which itself was the back of beyond, comes speaking and acting about the kingdom of God, they're all very, very interested, and they turn up in force. But they're not alone, because all sorts of healings have been taking place, and so all these crowds gather around Jesus. So much so that a group of men carrying a man who's paralyzed on a mat can't get through. And so seeing the crowds, they use their initiative and in faith they go up onto the roof and they start digging a big hole in the roof. And they lay down the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And you can imagine that all attention in the midst of the crowd, whatever conversations and debates and everything were happening between Jesus and all these Pharisees in this moment, suddenly sunlight comes down into the midst of the place. There's probably soil and rubble because the, the buildings were covered in soil as the roof. And they would have come down. And then this man on a mat was lowered down. And not surprisingly, everybody's eyes were on this man coming down and being laid out right in front of Jesus. And Jesus recognizes that his father has allowed this moment to happen, that he has this God-given opportunity to show the kingdom of God's power in action, the kingdom of God that is present in Jesus himself. And he also looks at the man and he recognizes the man's need. 
So often we see that in the midst of something which is a teaching moment for Jesus, there is a moment of compassion on somebody, whether it's the woman who uh, comes who is from a questionable sexual background and, and cries on Jesus' feet and anoints his feet with oil and perfume and, and dries his feet with a hair and Jesus addresses the Pharisees and has compassion on the woman. Or in this case, Jesus seeing the man on the mat and he recognizes as he looks at the man his greatest need. And he says to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. And it may surprise everybody, including the man, the mad initially, that this would be the angle that the protégés would take. But perhaps he just recognizes that this man thought, well, perhaps the reason I'm paralyzed, perhaps the reason why I'm on this mat is because God has somehow judged me and I've become paralyzed. And Jesus cuts through that false guilt and he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. I wonder here today if any of us are carrying false guilt. Where there's something that we sort of know, I don't think it was our fault. But somehow it still plagues us. The Lord wants to say to you today, friends, don't worry about it. Friends, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus didn't want to just address false guilt. He wanted to address real guilt. That's why he came. And so in saying, friends, your sins, your sins are forgiven, he's not just talking about false guilt. He's talking about real guilt. He's talking about things that the man, the man, would have thought and said and done or the things that you and I would have thought have thought and said and done that we know are wrong, that we know have caused hurt to God and hurt to other people and hurt to ourselves. And Jesus has come to say to every one of us, friend, your sins are forgiven. No, ma- no matter what they are, no matter whether it's murder or adultery or fraud or slander or libel or abuse, No matter what it is, Jesus says, friends, your sins are forgiven. Because the fact is, in the midst of guilt, fear arises in us. I wonder if that word the prayer team had today, fear not, is to do with the fact that so often we become paralyzed. And we can sort of see the life that God has for us. We can see the fact that he has a new destiny for us, a new freedom for us. We know what in our heads what it looks like. We know theologically how we can get there, but somehow we don't ever seem to be able to get there. And the reason is to do with fear. We know that Christ has opened the door. We just find it impossible somehow to walk through it. Not just in terms of our overall salvation, but in terms of the, those little moments and little steps and little steps into freedom. Because the reality is that Jesus Christ has broken the chains that bind us and the door is now open into complete fullness of life. The door is wide open. Jesus is saying, walk through it. 
And he's the one who also gives us the strength to walk through it. And he does that by dissolving fear and brokenness in our lives because Jesus came to break the brokenness. Jesus came to over, overturn the curse. And the way he did it is the strangest of ways, the ways that we'll explore this week in our Holy Week and Good Friday services. And in a way, it's akin to a vulnerable, innocent man standing in front of a tank and allowing himself to be mowed down and crushed to death by the tank. And then standing back on his feet again. Because that's, that's the reality of what Jesus came to do. In John 10, verse 18, he said something really, uh, perhaps even more striking than forgiving a man's sins. He said, I lay my life down willingly of my own accord. No one is forcing me to lay my life down. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Now that is faith in action. Imagine having the faith, as it were, to stand in front of a tank and let it mow you down, knowing the fact that God the Father has told you, even though you'll die, you're going to be able to get up on the other side. That's the level of Jesus' faith. That's what he was doing on Palm Sunday, walking and riding into Jerusalem. Faith in action releases the power of God. It did so for Jesus and through Jesus, which is why we're all here today. He didn't just talk about the fact that God was his father and could be completely trusted and that God would forgive and does forgive all sins through him. He put his faith into actions on a cross on Good Friday. A bit like the strong feeling that that Chinese man had in Tiananmen Square or near Tiananmen Square had that he felt so strongly that he put what he felt into action. It's a bit like the man carrying the man on the mat who's paralyzed and digging a hole in the roof and laying it down. That is faith in action and it is that that releases the power of God. Yes, the Lord loves it whenever we declare faith with our lips and we believe it in our mind. But what really releases the power of God on earth is whenever we actually act according to that faith, when we actually put it into action. When we take out with steps of faith, trusting that our whole life is to be shaped by the fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. And so our actions, our words, and also our deeds reflect the fact that we believe that. And so how we conduct ourselves and how we speak and how we act and our generosity, everything that we do and how we spend our time is shaped by the fact that Jesus Christ is our King and He is our Lord. He was dead and now He's alive. And so fear, there's no more fear for us. There's no more fear in death for us. We say death with Paul, where is your sting? Why? Because there was a man called Jesus Christ who died for us to set us free and He is alive today forevermore. 
because Jesus knew who his father was and he trusted his father and he put that trust into action. A few weeks ago, we were saying that we are future people living in the present. Often we think about heaven as a place that will come to earth. The Bible talks about it more as a time that will come into the now. What is it that may be paralyzing your life? What is it that may be holding you back from stepping into a fuller freedom that Christ has already won for you because the door is actually completely open? Jesus Christ died to unlock the gates of hell, to overcome sin and hell and death, and to open up the gate of glory. The only thing that can hold us back is ourselves because the path is already open. So what fears or what false guilt or what real guilt that we're somehow holding on to might hold us back from living as men and women, boys and girls in the full glorious freedom of Jesus Christ? And if you want to know what that looks like, then just read about the story and the accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what does a complete human being look like, his name is Jesus Christ. He is someone who touches people and they're healed. He declares deliverance and they're delivered from evil. He reaches out in compassion and touches people that no one else is willing to touch. He declares forgiveness of sins. And here's the amazing thing. He's equipped us to do exactly the same. The door is completely open. There is nothing holding us back from healing in the same way as Jesus, declaring reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ in the same way that Jesus did. The door is completely open. The only thing that would hold us back is ourselves. The only thing that would hold us back is fear. And so over these weeks and months ahead, we want to dwell increasingly in the presence and the silence and the solitude of the Lord, just as Jesus did. Because in that place is the place where real authority rises up. Let's enter into that place of real authority, loving authority that says to a man on the mat, get up, take up your mat, and go home.